Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 14. Uh, and uh, hold your place in both of those places. As my wife said, we began last Sunday a series called Fear Not, Walking by Faith and Not by Sight. Everyone say, Fear Not. And then say, We're going to walk by faith, not by sight. And as we prepare to hear the word today, I just want you to open your heart as you've turned to, are turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and then uh, Matthew 14. Let's pray together and let's ask God to speak to us today. I really believe God has a word from, from heaven for us. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that your word heals and saves and delivers and, and is the truth. And Lord, we build our lives today upon the truth of the word of God. Teach us, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight. And everyone said, Amen. Now, I want you to do something this morning with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Uh, and uh, I want you to memorize this. It's very simple. It says this. It says, For we walk by and not by sight. That's so simple. But I want you to log it in today. I want you to log in where it's at. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And say, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Say it again. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, you not only need to memorize it here, but it needs to drop down into here because this, my friend, is the secret to your success in life. Because if you don't learn to walk by faith, yes, listen carefully, you're going to always be walking and living and making decisions based upon what you see with your natural eye. How many of you know your natural eye can get you in real trouble sometimes? And so it's important to walk by faith. And everybody said... Amen. Now, let me pause a second. I meant to tell you this. Let me tell you about an exciting new opportunity that is upon us. Uh, this past couple of weeks, uh, something fell into our lap, and I want to tell you about it. It's not a complete done deal, but uh, the, uh, about three weeks ago, I did a TV show for uh, um, TBN. I was a part of their guest. We talked about Agua Resources. And while I was there, the, the head of the local TBN station said, you need to take a TV spot. And, and, and uh, I said, I don't have any cameras. He said, well, I've got a spot opening up. Somebody wanted it and they didn't, uh, they're not going to be able to do it. You ought to do it. I said, well, I, you know, so I just started asking questions. That'll get you in trouble a lot. And uh, I said, well, I don't have any cameras or anything. And uh, he, I said, well, okay, I'm going to ask, how much would it cost for a 30-minute broadcast, not counting any production costs, how much would it cost for a 30, this 30-minute 30 slot uh, per month? Now, anybody want to, well, I don't have time for you to guess. I was pleasantly surprised. I said, how much does it cost? He says, it's $600, not a week, a month. And maybe, you know, that's nothing. So but then I got thinking, well, I don't have any cameras or anything, so... When in doubt, call your friend, Pastor Ron Hammonds, who has all the cameras and everything. Long story short, Pastor Ron has agreed to, uh, I'm going to come into their studio. We're going to shoot a pilot in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to build a, a, a TV program. And if everything goes right, uh, within a month or so, we'll be reaching out into our community by way of TV. Somebody say amen. Isn't that exciting? I don't own a camera. I don't know a computer that'll edit any programs, but you know what Pastor Ron said? He said, now, we don't do this. We're busy as can be. I said, well, how much is it going to cost for you to shoot the programs and, and do some minor editing? He said, it's going to cost you absolutely nothing. Wow. Somebody say amen. So 
We've got some challenges ahead of us, but we also have some great opportunities. So I wanted you to know that. And as we get closer, I'll show you some the intro and the outro as we're getting ready to go on air. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the opportunity to invest. Everybody say amen. So uh, we're going to reach out into our community. With that in mind, here we go. Fear not. Everybody say fear not. Walking by faith and not by sight. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I want to give you a definition that I've had of fear. I developed it a number of years ago, but I just keep coming back to it. Uh, And here it is. Fear is nothing more than a natural reaction to a distorted perspective of a temporary circumstance. Now, I I want you to digest this a little bit. It's nothing more than a natural reaction. How many of you know if somebody comes up behind you and goes, whoo, that's a natural, you get, you know, it's a natural reaction to be afraid. Uh, And uh, it's it's just natural to be afraid when circumstances come upon us. But it is to a, but understand when you begin to digest it a little bit, it's a natural reaction to a distorted perspective of a temporary circumstance. You see... If I scare my wife, in fact, Ty scared his, uh, uh, his Bebo, as he calls her, uh, yesterday. He, he came, we're at the church, and he pulled up with his family, and he got out. He had to go to the little boy's room. So I said, go up there and scare Bebo. So he went up there, and all of a sudden, I heard her go, whoa. Ty scared her. It was a natural reaction, but it was a, it was a distortion. She thought the booger bear was after her, the bogeyman. But it ended up being her grandson. All of a sudden, there's love and happiness and joy. And it was very temporary. Now, even on your worst day, understand something. Even when you're facing real traumas and troubles that would cause you to fear, ultimately, you need to understand it's temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. If you got if you got a diagnosis from the doctor that you, that you've got thirty days to live and you, you know fearful comes upon you understand something but wait to to die is Christ and, and and to live is gain so it's only temporary but I say it's only temporary so understand something fear it's nothing more than a natural reaction to a distorted perspective of a temporary circumstance and I want to help you begin to walk by faith. And not by sight. We've been looking at Matthew 14. I want you to turn over there. Last Sunday we looked there and we gave, we gave you some very important life lessons for walking by faith and not by sight. Matthew 14 is the story of the disciples in the boat uh, and Jesus comes to them walking on the what? He comes to them walking on the water. Now, get the context because I want to repaint it for you. They had just come off of a phenomenal provisional miracle. They were on the side of the uh, Sea of Galilee there. And if you were with us in Israel a few years ago, you can remember where we were. And we, we were really close to where this miracle of supernatural provision happened. Jesus had fed uh, the, the masses. And it says 5,000 uh, plus women and children. Could have been up to 15,000 people. And he did so with five loaves and two fish. Now, I'm telling you, that ought to build everybody's faith, right? I mean, before they could even uh, uh, turn, you know, all of a sudden, the provision begins to flow. Jesus took it and he blessed it and he broke it and it just began to multiply. And the Bible says in verse 22, immediately, right after that miracle, Jesus puts the disciples in the boat and sends them on ahead of him and he goes away to pray. And you know the story, the storm uh, began to raise and they were out in the middle and they were fearful and, 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 
and I'm sure they were thinking, Jesus, I know why Jesus didn't come. He brought, he sent us out here to harm us. That's what he's doing. And in fact, when Jesus came to them walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost and they were fearful. And Jesus said, uh, Hey, don't fear. Uh, it is I be not afraid. And you know, the story and Peter said, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. And then he looked down at the water and he began to fear and he began to do what? Jesus said, why did you doubt? Jesus picks him up and they get in the boat and the storm ceased. From that story, we can learn some life lessons to walking by faith. And not by sight, because you know what Peter was walking on when he stepped out of the boat? What was he walking on? Well, the water, not really. He was walking on a word from God. When Jesus said, come, Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. And we know that primarily this whole thing was a test for the disciples. Could I tell you that most of the traumas of life, most of the storms of life that come your way, let me just ask how many, how many of you have ever been through at least one storm? In fact, I've been around here long enough to, I, I've, I've went through some of them with you. You know, I see, I see faces and, and people who've been through storms and went together. We've prayed it, prayed. We've held on to our faith and walked on the water together in many ways through the storms of life. And most of it is a test from God about how we're going to respond in the traumas of life. And you need to understand something about faith. Faith is not for the good times. Faith is for the question marks of life. Faith is for the times when you don't know what's on the other side of the hill. Faith is when you don't know where Jesus may or may not show up in your midst. Faith is for the times of uncertainty. When you don't, when, when, when your natural eye sees nothing, or if it does see something, it's contrary to your heart's desire and will for your life. Faith is in the, for the troubled times. And so we've got to learn to walk by and not by sight. And Peter, the only time he began to sink, and I love this guy, Peter, even though Jesus chastised him a little bit, he said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, how many of you know, one step on the water to me is great faith. He took two or three steps and began to sink. And Jesus said, little faith. You're a little faith. Why did you doubt? My big deal is what about the other 11 sissies in the boat? Well, let me, let, me, let me just share some of these things with you today. Here's where we were last week. And I encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, you can get us online at www.cotrnorth.com. You can go back and listen to this message. If you have iTunes, you can look us up. All these things are on iTunes. You can actually download them onto your iPad, iPod, Android, or whatever is uh, iTunes applicable. Uh, and you can listen to these messages. I encourage you to do that. Last week, I gave you four life lessons that you and I need to learn in order to walk by faith and not by sight. And here they are. The first one was this. Apply what you learn, you're going to need it. How many of you know life's lessons are for the future, not for the moment? And you've got to remember the disciples didn't apply what they learned. How many of you know feeding the 5,000, they ought to learn some things. He's going to take good care of us. But they didn't learn their lesson. In fact, they were fearful. The second life lesson I gave you, Jesus doesn't keep you from the storm. He will show up in the middle of your storm. Understand this. I would rather have a storm with Jesus in the middle of it than no storm and no Jesus. Right? 
He doesn't keep you from the storm, but he will show up in the middle of it. Somebody say amen for that. The third thing I told you last Sunday, take courage. Here we go. He will be whatever you need him to be. In fact, the, the, the red written there in verse 27, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid, really means this. Take courage. I am has showed up in your behalf. What was he telling them? Hey, have faith. Be courageous. I am has shown up. I am whatever you need me to be. I will be whatever you need me to be. How many of you know that's comforting to know? You see, whatever storm you faced, he, he will be whatever you need him to be. So you can fear not. Take courage. He'll be whatever you need him to be. If you need comfort, he can be your comforter. If you need peace, he can be your peace. If you need direction, he can be your compass. If you need uh, 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 healing, he can be your healer. If you need deliverance, he can be your deliverer. Whatever. Come on, I'm going to preach it again. Whatever you need him to be, he will be it just for you. Amen. Somebody say amen. And then the fourth thing I told you last Sunday, it's challenge his capacity. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. How many of you know Jesus likes a good challenge? In fact, Peter said, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. You know what Jesus did not do to Peter? He didn't rebuke him. Don't you be telling me to what to do. Don't you be laying out a fleece before me. He just said, well, come on then. Everybody do this. Come on then. And, ba- and just come on. And he did. And I want to encourage you in the middle of the traumas of your moment, in the middle of your storms. Challenge the capacity of God in your behalf. Because understand something. The Bible says there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, there's nothing too hard for God. Other than to fix my microphone. Amen. We'll keep working on it. Maybe I need to calm down. So that that was last week. This morning, let me give you four more. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor. Are you ready? Here we go. The fifth life lesson for walking by faith and not by sight from Matthew 14 is this. Respond immediately to the master. You're on the verge of your miracle. Respond immediately to the master. You're on the verge of your miracle. Now, Jesus, Peter said, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, really one word, come. Everybody say come. Now, one thing Peter knew He had something going for him. He knew this was his moment. Understand something about the directive of God in your behalf, especially in times of trouble. When he speaks and he directs, we must respond. You don't find Peter going, well, let me pray about that. You don't find Peter saying, well, let me... You know, the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, they didn't have a discipleship meeting there in the boat and say, uh, all in favor that I come or I go, uh, raise your right hand, all opposed, like sign. And of course, there is none. If you are a Baptist, you understand that. They didn't have a vote. They didn't have a prayer meeting. They didn't go get counseling. Peter didn't say, okay, I'll get back to you on that. Uh, I'm, in fact... Let me go, let me get my books out and study this. He responded immediately to the master. And I want to tell you something about obedience. In fact, when you study obedience and faith, did you know they're almost synonymous in Scripture in many places? You read Hebrews 3 and 4. He talks about faith and unbelief and obedience like they're one thing. 
You certainly can't take faith without obedience, and you can't have obedience without faith. Understand something. They are, they are like twins and blood brothers, if you will. And so, understand something. In the middle of your, if you're going to walk by faith and not by sight, when God speaks, and listen carefully, He's not afraid to, He's not afraid. In fact, He'll show up in the middle of your trouble. He'll show up in the middle of your, tri- and your trial, and He will begin to speak to you. But understand something. Your deliverance comes when you begin to cooperate with the word and the will of God and we begin to obey what we hear because understand something obedience is the action word of faith it really is it's an action word it's the activity of faith and catch this immediate obedience motivates the master come on parents just from your parental uh, when your kids in fact how many of you know sometimes it's hard to obey not only your parents, but your wife? Yeah. My wife, now, she doesn't quite command, but she'll say, can you take out the trash? Now, that's halfway between a request and a command. I know that. I've got that. I know it's not optional. But you know what she's really wanting me to do? She's wanting me to do it when? Right now. Well, I need to pray about it a little bit. I need to work myself up to it. And that always creates conflict. But when, when there is immediate obedience, it motivates the master. Parents with your kids, when you tell your kids, can you clean up the, and all of a sudden they're headed to their room and their toys are flying and they're fixing it. You go, Lord, it's lollipop time. Am I right? It's the same way with God. And with Jesus, you see... When Peter immediately began to obey, he got an immediate response from Jesus. And Jesus was right there. And even when he began to doubt, he lifted it up. He was right there with him. It motivates God. If you're ready to obey, he gets all motivated. He gets fired up. Now listen to this. Understand, conversely, in the middle of your trauma moment, when you need a miracle, and when you're calling out to God, and when you know He needs to show up in your behalf, and He begins to speak directives to you, understand something. Uh, when you delay your obedience, how many of you know many times delayed obedience is really just disobedience? Because catch this with me. Stay with me. Look up. Uh, this is a, We're talking about walking by faith and not by sight. You, you can't just put it on the shelf and one day come back to it. Every word from God into your spirit has a shelf life. It's getting really quiet in here, Beverly. And we think we can shelve them and come back to them. Listen, there is a miracles have a moment. And you can miss your moment. I've missed mine a few times in life and it does not taste well. When I shelve the word and when, and, and, and I appreciate Jim's testimony. There have been times God's told me things to do that I, I doubt I can't do that. I can't give away a motorcycle. I can't do that. And I miss my miracle. Because I don't respond immediately to the thus saith the Lord. Yeah, but what if it's not a word from God? God's big enough to take care of you even if you miss it there. You think he's going to slap your hand because you're trying to obey him? You were trying. Shame on you. No, he's going to pour his grace out on you. So it's a win-win. Everybody say it's a win-win. 
Man, listen to this. Respond immediately to the master. You're on the verge of your miracle, right? Don't, don't back up. Don't go to the prayer closet. Just obey him. Roll up your press legs and step out on the water and begin to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. That motivates God. I'm telling you, he gets all fired up when you begin to obey him. You see, an obedient response will always win out over a fearful reaction. An obedient response will always win out over a fearful reaction. So everyone say, respond immediately to the master. You're on the verge of your miracle. Look somebody in the eye and say, respond immediately to the master. You're on the verge of your miracle. Amen. Number two, or pardon me, really number six. The sixth life lesson for walking by faith and not by sight from Matthew 14. Keep your eyes on him. There's great danger in the distractions. Keep your eyes on him. There's great danger in the distractions. Listen, in the middle of your storm, you can't be caught texting and driving. You can't get distracted. And what, what happened to Peter? The only time he began to sink in the middle of his miracle, in the middle of his storm, was when he got his eyes off of Jesus and got him on his circumstances. Now next week we're going to look more. In fact, next week, let me give you a little quickie. Next week we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha and his servant, that was another uh, um, uh, uh, serious moment and need for a miracle. And, and uh, uh, God opened his eyes, the servant's eyes, to see the miracle before him. But understand this. When you get your eyes on the circumstances and off the one who's going is the king of the circumstances and the Lord of the circumstances, uh, hey, you'll begin to sink in life. And Peter began to sink when he got his eyes off of Jesus. And so we've got to keep our eyes on him. Amen. Let me show you some passages of scripture. Psalm 17. I want to give you a little illustration here. Psalm 17, I love this illustration about our eyes. David said this in Psalm 17. Pardon me, it's taken me a moment to get there. Uh, so I'll give you a little grace as well. Psalm 17, chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse 8, says this. Keep me, David said, as the apple of your eye. Everyone say, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings for the wicked who oppress me, from the wicked who oppress me, from the deadly enemies who surround me. Now, David felt surrounded. And so he said, keep me as the apple of your eye. That word apple, it's an interesting thing. I better think it's pupil. It really means the, the literal translation in Hebrew is keep me as the little man or the little person or the little image in your eye. What on earth does that mean? Well, if you're brave enough to get up close enough to somebody and look right into their eyes, you know what you'll see? You'll see a little image of yourself. It's right there. You have to look. And you know what David was saying in the middle of his trauma when his enemies surrounded him? Keep me so close to you that I'm eye to eye with you. So much so that I see the little image in your eye. Keep your eyes on him. There's great danger in the distractions. 
Are you with me? Look what, look what the Psalm, uh, pardon me, the Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter, oh, let's see, verse 7, verse 2 say this. It's the same illustration, but a little different ac- ap- application. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. In other words, keep the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God as the little man or as the apple of your eye. Why? Because you can't, there's too much danger in the distractions. You can't be texting and driving through the storms of life. You've got to keep your eyes on him and don't get distracted by the struggles and the trial. Oh, it's hard to do sometimes. Woo, we had some lightning and popping this morning. Uh, you know, and sometimes in the storms of our life, those things distract us and they cause us to fear. But understand, it's a distraction. Distorted perspective of a temporary circumstance. Keep your eyes on him. And don't look to the left or the right, the Bible says. You got to learn to do that if you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. I've seen some things in life. How many of you have had things that you looked at with a natural eyes and you said, oh me and oh my. And how on earth am I ever going to get through that? And fear began to grip your heart. Get your eyes on Him. We used to sing in a little chorus. And if you're uh, as old as I, or maybe even a little younger, but in my, you turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim. Strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Everybody say, keep your eyes on him. There's danger in the distractions. Life lesson number seven from Matthew 14. If you're getting that sinking feeling, he's here to save you. Let me ask you, have you ever got that sinking feeling? Oh, I'm going down in a hurry. And, and Peter got that sinking feeling. Let me, let me kind of build on this before I, I share some more passages of Scripture with you. If you're getting that sinking feeling, your eyes are in the wrong place. How many of you can process that with me? If you're going, oh, I'm going down. I'm sinking, Lord. Your eyes are in the wrong place. That's what got Peter in trouble. He got his eyes off God. That's what I was saying. Keep your eyes on him. But hey, if you are getting that sinking feeling, understand something, just like Peter did, he's here to save you. David said it this way in Psalm 23. You know it. Yea, though I walk what? Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's right there with us. And so today, if you're getting that sinking feeling, understand something about God. He's right there. He's as close as the mention of his name. Of his name. And you need to, you know, and I figure the disciples thinking Jesus left them out there. Have you ever felt that way? All throughout scripture, there's people who thought God had left them. You've probably felt the same way from time to time. Well, he left me. How many of you know he'll never leave us or forsake us? In fact, I love Psalm 91. And just hang on. I got to read the whole thing. It's 16 verses. But wow, we got 20 minutes. And what better things do you have to do than hear the preacher read a wonderful passage? Catch this. He who dwells in the... Oh, and let me just do it because I'm doing a lot. If you hear anything you like, I want to hear an amen. If you got anything that just stirs you up, say, that's right, preacher. 
Uh, and as Ty used to say when he was smaller, he used to say, preach it, Papa. Whatever you want to say. But let's, let's make this group participate, participation. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. If you're not an ameniter by now, something's wrong with you. Uh, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you. To keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, God says. Therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he has known my name. He shall call upon me. And I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Somebody say amen. You gotta understand if you're getting that sinking feeling he's here to save you. In fact Isaiah 35 says that. He says fear not. Everybody say fear not. Isaiah 35, verse 4, you can look it up later. It says, fear not. And then he says, he will come and save you. He will come and save you. It's the nature of the Father. You know, my girls are all grown now and have husbands and kids. But there have been times in life, even in their young adult life, the phone rings, Daddy. I remember one time they said, I just had a wreck. And I say, help is on the way, dear. And out the door I go. Beverly followed. What's going on? Where are you going? I'm going to save my That's what we do. And if we as fathers do that with our own kids, how much more our heavenly father? show up in the middle of your storm when you're doubting and when you get your eyes off him he'll lift you up I don't know if there's anybody here who's got the sinking feeling today but you're in the right place because he's here to save you he'll lift you up I've had that sinking feeling I could share with you some times in my life when I thought I could not make it through the storm and the trauma of my moment. But I found out he loves me. And he'll take good care of me. If you're going to walk by faith, you've got to know that. You'll never, you'll never move forward in life. It's not sit by faith. It's walk by faith. 
It's not back up by faith. It's pressed forward in faith. If you're getting that sinking feeling, he's here to save you. And then the final one. It says worship him before the miracle. It has productive and even preemptive potential. You know what the disciples did when, the, when Jesus got in the boat and the storm ceased? They got real spiritual. Hallelujah. Surely you are the Son of God. Oh, glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. They're giving high fives. And that's good. That's great. But understand something. Worshiping Him before the miracle has a productive and even preemptive potential. Now, the children of Israel, they never could get this. In fact, they're in Egyptian bondage. And God shows up and speaks to them through Moses and says, Hey, I'm going to set you free. You've, heard, you've seen the movie, right? How many of you, you know, was it Charlton Heston? Was Mo, everybody say Moses. And you saw the Red Sea part and the children of Israel move through. But you know what the children of Israel said as soon as they got up to the Red Sea and then and Pharaoh and his armies are beating down upon them. You brought us out here to kill us. Well, their faith was strong. And by the way, they were leaving town with all the gold and the jewelry and the blessings of Egypt wrapped around them. They had been, hey, they had been blessed and prospered and they were moving out of slavery into the promised land. And the first rattle out of the box, they're accusing God and Moses of trying to kill them. And basically, if you read it in Exodus 15, God basically has to tell them, shut up and be still. That sounds like some parents. That's the only thing works, right? Shut up and don't move. That's basically what God says. Stand still and see the salvation of God. And you know the story. Moses. You've seen the movie. And they, oh, glory to God. And they come running through on dry land. And then the Egyptians get there and the water falls back on them. And everybody's saved on the other side. But the Egyptians lose their life. Somebody go, yeah. And you know what they did? Miriam grabbed the tambourine and she said, it's time for some praising going on. Woo, everybody got to swirling around there, banging on that tambourine. I will sing unto the Lord for he has tried gloriously. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. Come on, let's do it. I will sing unto the Lord for he. And they're having praise. Woo, yeah. But they praised him for the miracle. I started to curse in church. They were doing something else before the miracle. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They were griping and being ugly and rude and crude and socially unfeatable. But when God showed up, all of a sudden, it's a whole new story. Hallelujah, he's good to me. But if you're going to walk by faith... And not by sight. Let me tell you something. It's much better to worship him before the miracle. Because it has very productive and even potentially preemptive potential in your life. In other words, God may just show up before a mess gets started. In fact, let me show you this. Turn to 2 Chronicles 20. I love this one. Everybody go to 2 Chronicles 20. If you don't go there, shame on you. The story is this, Jehoshaphat, 
And the people of God are surrounded once again by enemies. All the, all the ites were after them, the Ammonites and Moab. It says in verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. And what did he do? He set himself to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now that's a good leader right there. Because his fear came upon him, but he didn't let his fear come upon him. Hello? And he set himself to seek the Lord, and all Judah gathered together to ask help from God. And they began to ask help from God. And let me quickly walk you through this chapter. Verse 6, they began to make a declaration of God's capacity. They began to attest the capacity of God, just like I told you to do. They began to say, you're a great God. You're a delivering God. You, in fact, verse 9, you will hear and you will save. They were making a declaration of faith in the middle of their circumstance. They were not walking by what they saw, but they were choosing to walk by faith. Listen carefully. You've got to make that choice. What am I going to do when a sudden fear comes upon me? Am I going to run in, in, in fear and trembling? Or am I going to set myself to seek the Lord and begin to get a word from God and begin to set my faith, my faith in the right place? And that's what they began to do. And you know what, what Jehoshaphat said? He said this in verse 12. He said, Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that has come against us. But look what he said. We do not know what to do but our eyes are upon you you see remember what I said earlier keep your eyes on him there's danger in the distractions and Jehoshaphat got an A plus and when they began to make declarations of faith and they began to set their eyes on him and put their confidence in Him, the Spirit of God began to move in their behalf. Did you get that? Listen, faith activates God. And God moved upon Jehaziel and he began to prophesy in their midst and gave them supernatural directive. Let me tell you one thing you need in the middle of the storm of your life, supernatural directive and intervention in your life. And you'll never get it by running and hiding or by backing up and quitting or, 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 or throwing in the towel or crying and moaning and complaining or, or doing whatever you do in the middle of a trauma that hadn't got you anywhere. In fact, got you in a worse place than ever before. They began to praise Him. They began to set their face upon Him. They began to trust Him. And the Spirit of God began to speak and gave them supernatural directive. And how did they respond? Verse 18 and 19. Now, they're still surrounded by the enemy, by the way. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. They were praising Him before the miracle. That's walking by faith and not by sight. In fact, understand something. Praise is the language of faith. Obedience is the action of faith. Praise is the language of faith. They began to speak the language. And God began to move. 
And it says in verse 21, And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army, they were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. You see, they weren't backing up. They weren't, they weren't calling in for uh, uh, reinforcements. They weren't, you know, uh, uh, they did pray and sought God, but then they began to get the word of the Lord and they began to move forward. And it says in verse 22, And when they began to sing and to praise. Everyone say, When they began to sing and to praise. Come on, when they began to sing and to praise. Not after they praised, not before they praised him, but when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of the Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who came against Judah, and they were defeated. Amen. In fact, it says this, they went out into the battlefield verse 25 to take the spoil they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much you see sometimes your biggest trauma is really a setup for your biggest triumph It just all depends on how you respond or whether you react. Your biggest trauma might be a setup for your biggest triumph. And they were carrying it three days. But you know what they, you know what they did after the fact? They gathered in the valley of Barakah, which is, they named this place. This is the place of blessing. This place of trouble, this storm, this trauma has become a place of great blessing. Did you know God can turn your trouble into triumph? And it says they gathered together and they blessed the Lord, verse 26. And they called the place the Valley of Barakah or the Valley of Blessing till this day. Now, worship Him before the miracle. That's the language of faith. It has productive. How many of you know these folks got blessed? And even preemptive potential. You know they didn't have to draw a sword? All they had to do was praise Him and obey Him. God sent ambushments against their enemy. Now you can tweet this one. If you're a tweeter. I've met some twits, but uh, maybe you're a tweeter. Immature faith praises him for the miracle. Mature faith praises him before the miracle. Say it with me. Immature faith praises him for the miracle. Mature faith praises him before the miracle. Amen. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not going to look at life through the lens of my circumstance. I'm going to look at life through the lens of the bigger picture. In fact, next Sunday, that's what we're going to talk about. 
I don't want to be light of your trouble. That's rude. But I got to say this. There's always a bigger picture. Jehoshaphat saw the bigger picture. How about you today? And as we'll learn next week, through Elisha and his servant, when they were surrounded by the enemy, Elisha prayed for his servant, says, open his eyes that he may see. And you know what he saw? The Lord opened his eyes and the, and the, the, the place where they were was surrounded by chariots of fire and the angels of God. But you know what Elisha said before that ever was made manifest? They're more with us than there are with them. He saw it before he saw it. He knew. He was walking by what? Not by sight. If you learn anything from this old preacher today, or for the rest of your life, You better get this little simple but yet profound truth down deep on the inside. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, I don't have much faith. You don't need much. Faith is a grain of mustard seed. You say this mountain be removed and cast in the sea and don't doubt in your heart. And if you believe everything that you say, it'll happen in your behalf. Then your faith will begin to grow. Chris Christofferson. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one? What's he doing? He's singing a sad song. Listen, it's only a test. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Let's stand together this morning. You want to seal the deal? How many of you know what sealing the deal is? You ever buy anything of significance? A house, a car? How many of you know they want you to seal the deal? Shannon's not here. He's a car salesman. He gets a bad rap. They know their odds go way down if you walk out without sealing the deal. You ever had them get after you when you, well, I'll, I'll call you, you have a car. And then they get all shook and they start saying, well, you know, if you make a deal today, you know, let me tell you what, I'll, you'll get free oil change for life. And the sales pitch kicks in because they know if you walk out the door, without sealing the deal they're probably going to miss the sale could I tell you today every time you walk through the church door or every time God speaks a word to you in your heart and you know good and well that God's talking to you and you don't seal the deal you'll walk out and guess what will happen the enemy will come like birds of the air And he'll begin to steal the seed that was sown in your heart. Rob you of a life truth. We walk by faith, not by sight. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Let's seal the deal. It's right up noon.
What a great time for you to be able to testify that on June 2nd, 2013, you sealed the deal at high noon. You said from this moment, from this day forward, I will not look with my natural eyes at the circumstances of life, but I will walk by faith and not by sight. I'll learn the lessons of life, learn the lessons that Peter learned and the disciples were learning there that day that, they, that uh, caused them to begin to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I know even in this smaller crowd today as the holiday, pardon me, the vacation season has come upon us, I know even in this group of folks today, there's somebody here who walked in with a sinking feeling. And if that's you today, guess what? He's here to save you. And guess what? Number two, if you'll get your eyes on Him, things will begin to turn in your behalf.